I'm glad that you're here. 150 years ago, it was said that the sun never uh, went down on the British Empire. So what that meant was that from England all the way around the world, there was a place that the British ruled. And one of those places was India. Now, in New Delhi at the time, uh, there was a thing that really scared the, the British leaders that were there, and that was snakes. There were cobras everywhere in Delhi. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen a cobra in real life. They're terrifying. I don't blame the people who were there for being afraid of them, but what they decided to do is they decided to get rid of all these snakes. And so they put a bounty on these snakes and uh, said, we're gonna get rid of them once and for all. And so they said, we're gonna give a price for every snake that's brought in dead or alive, mostly dead, right? Because that's what you want, you want dead snakes. So they brought those snakes to them and uh, the campaign was pretty successful until a couple uh, young Indian men got a bright idea, which was to start uh, uh, raising these snakes. They're like, you know what? It's a lot easier to farm snakes than catch them in the wild. And so they started these underground uh, cobra farms and just started breeding cobras and started bringing those cobras in as a bounty and collecting the money. Uh, and as a result, eventually, uh, the British figured that out, got wise to it, and they ended the program, which uh, brought an unexpected consequence when the people who were raising these snakes said, you know what, we're just gonna release these back out into the wild. And at the end of the day, there were twice as many snakes in Delhi than when they started. Unexpected consequences, right? That's tough. They're not uh, what we're looking for in life. And yet every single one of us make decisions that have consequences. Some of them we know that we're gonna get and some of them are unexpected. And tonight we're gonna be talking about a man named Zacchaeus that has unexpected consequences to his decisions. He wants to see Jesus. And so he goes to great lengths to see Jesus. But when he does, he actually meets Jesus and at the end of the story decides to give away half of everything that he owns and decides to pay back four times anything that he's stolen from people. Now that's an unexpected consequence, right? That's something no one in this room came to Kairos tonight thinking, I'm gonna give away half of what I own. Some of us don't own anything, so it doesn't really matter that much, right? But at the same time, none of us are wanting to part with half of what we own and none of us are thinking about taking such drastic measures. So the question we have to ask is what happened? What happened in his life? So would you open with me to your Bibles, to Luke chapter 19. We're gonna read the scriptures together. We're gonna to read the story of Zacchaeus uh, in Luke 19, one through 10. So I'm gonna really read that with us uh, here tonight. It says this, he entered Jericho, which is Jesus. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. There was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector and he was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but he was not able because of the crowd since he was a short man. So running ahead, he climbed up a sycamore tree to see Jesus since he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down because today it is necessary for me to stay at your house. So he quickly came down and welcomed him joyfully. And all who saw it began to complain, he's gone to stay with a sinful man. 
But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, look, I'll give half of my possessions to the Lord and to the poor Lord. And if I've extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay back four times as much. Today, salvation has come to this house, Jesus told him, because he too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save the lost. Now, the story is interesting because uh, in it, we find a man named Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus is someone who's on the margins. He's someone who is not a religious person. One of the things we find about Zacchaeus early on is that he's a tax collector. Now, tax day is next week. For those of you guys who are paying attention, tax day is coming soon, April 15th. And tax day reminds us that we have a responsibility to pay our fair share to the government. And in Jesus' day, uh, it was much worse than what we experience today because we kind of like dread tax day. We wonder if we owe anything. We have to go file those taxes. We go to an accountant or we go online and we fill those out. But in Jesus' day, there was a person that would come to you and ask for the tax. So it got really awkward when that happened. And uh, another thing that complicated that is that uh, it wasn't a tax that you paid to a government that was for the people and by the people. The people who were collecting the tax were their enemies. The Romans had come in and conquered Israel and they had uh, placed these uh, tax collectors over them who could tax whatever they wanted. So you had people who'd tax people individually. They also had people who'd come and tax uh, any kind of commerce, whether that was like a shipping industry or if you had a store, they'd come and tax you. But then there were these other tax uh, collectors who are over all of those people who would tax the tax collectors. And that's who Zacchaeus was. And he was probably the most unliked person in his town, in the town of Jericho. But he hears that there's this man, Jesus, who's coming through his town. And Jesus is going through Jericho because he's going to Jerusalem on the last week of his life. He's going to give his life for all of us the following week during Holy Week. And as he's going through Jericho, Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus badly, but he can't. And the reason he can't is because the Bible tells us something about him that keeps him from being able to see Jesus, and that is that he is short. Now, the Bible doesn't give us a lot of physical descriptions about people, but it does tell us that Zacchaeus was short. If you grew up in church like me, you probably sang a song about it, right? The song goes something like this. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. Do you guys know the story, the song, right? Uh, by the way, that song is uh, very awkward if you really think about it. We're making fun of a man's height, right? We're openly mocking the fact that this man is tiny. And it's something that keeps him from seeing Jesus because he's so short that he can't see over the crowd. So he's doing one of these numbers, right? He's like trying to look. He's like a kid trying to like see over the crowd. He can't see. Nobody wants to let him in. And so he decides to take a drastic measure of running ahead of where Jesus is and climbing a tree. And in Jesus' day, grown men didn't run and they didn't climb trees. There were two things that they didn't do. And certainly somebody who is as wealthy and as powerful as Zacchaeus would never do. But he does it anyway because he's so desperate to see Jesus. And as he is... Up in this tree, Jesus comes by, and the Bible says that Jesus looks up at him. It's probably the first time anyone's ever looked up to Zacchaeus, okay? 
probably the first time. And the Bible tells us he looks up and sees him and he tells him something that's very important. He says, Zacchaeus, I'm gonna come to your house today. I'm coming home with you. And in this moment, we see Jesus do something that is remarkable. He sees Zacchaeus' life and he sees something beyond a man up in a tree looking down at him. Jesus sees the story in the scenery. You see, a lot of us live our life trying to get through life, and we treat a lot of the people like scenery around us, don't we? Like we see the people in traffic around us, we ignore them, we kind of tune them out. We see people at work, and we may interact with some of them, but for most of the people that we interact with and the people that we see on a daily basis, they're basically like scenery to us. We don't see the stories that are represented by every single person that we come in contact with. But Jesus is different. He sees the story. As he's walking by, he looks up and sees a man in a tree and goes, wow, that's something you don't see every day. (laughs) There's that grown man in a tree looking down at me, and he stops because he knows that there's a story that's taking place right in front of him. And it seems to me that as we look at the story, there's something that we can take away when it comes to our relationship with Jesus. We have some clarity on how Jesus approaches every single one of us. Because there's one way to preach this passage tonight where we we say, okay, you should be like Jesus and you should see the people around you. And that's a great sermon for us to talk about. But I feel like what Jesus wants us to press in on tonight is to see how Jesus sees us and how he sees our story. Because often we can feel unseen. We look at people on social media And we see how famous they are and how they get all these likes and how they get all these views. And there's something within many of us where we say, I wish I was seen. You may see people at work who get recognition and you don't. And you feel unseen there. You may see people get recognition at church. And they have opportunities to be on platforms. And you see them getting accolades that you wish that you could have. Or maybe you see people in your own house where your brother or sister is always the one who gets the the recommendation of someone that they admire or the parents kind of say, you know what, this person, man, look how good they're doing. And you feel like, man, does no one even see me? I'm right here. So when it comes to our relationship with God, we can feel the same way, right? When we're praying and we're asking God to do something. When you say, God, I want to, I want to, I want to see some of these dreams come true. We can feel like God isn't seeing us, like he doesn't care. And we can feel like we need to maybe try something else, a way that we can feel seen. But when it comes to Jesus, it's important for us to realize that Jesus' mission is to see people, to seek after them. In fact, that's what we see in the scriptures. This is what Jesus says about Zacchaeus. Look with me in verse 10. Jesus says, this is why I came. It says, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. Jesus sees people and he sees us and cares about us and knows us and wants to be in a relationship with us and desires to have a community with us. And for many of us, we don't think that he does that because we don't operate like that. We walk right past people. But Jesus not only cares about the people that he sees, he wants to interact with them in their story and change it. 
So the thing that we see here next in this story is that Jesus not only sees Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus has climbed up a tree to see Jesus, Jesus sees him. Jesus then invites himself over to Zacchaeus' house, which is awkward, right? Do you have any friends that invite themselves over? Are you one of those people that invites yourself over to people's house? Jesus, no, it's good. I sure hope not, right? But Jesus does that. Jesus looks at Zacchaeus, and this is what he says. I want you to see what he says uh, to Zacchaeus. Verse 5, he says, Today it is necessary for me to stay at your house. Today it is necessary. Up to this point, Jesus is passing through. That's the first thing we see in the Bible, in this story. Jesus is going through Jericho. He's on his way to Jerusalem. He's got no plans to stay there until he sees Zacchaeus in the tree and goes, you know what? It's necessary for me today to stop and stay at your place. Now, this invitation isn't like uh, an invitation that we would think about today where somebody would come and spend the, some time with us, come over to our house, hang out, play some Xbox or watch a show or maybe have a meal. For many of us, that's a very normal thing. We do that with people that we're not even friends with. We're like, hey, come on over and hang out. We have a party. But in Jesus' day, if you came to somebody's house, it was a big deal. If you came over, it was a sign of friendship beyond just like, hey, we're just like casually friends or hanging out. Jesus offers a relationship with Zacchaeus. And when he says, I'm coming over to your house, not everybody's excited about it. In fact, the people who are watching get upset. They're like, how in the world, Jesus, could you choose to be with this guy that we all hate? I love how Eugene Peterson says this in the message. They begin to grumble and say, how are you getting cozy with a crook? <laughs> you know, sometimes we feel like we're not worthy of our relationship with Christ. Now, I know some of you guys are like, I mean, God's lucky to have me. I mean, let's be honest, right? <laughs> but for many of us, when we really think about our condition before God and we think about being somebody that knows God, man, honestly, sometimes we feel very unworthy. I feel that way sometimes. Sometimes I think about the way that I treat people and the way that I'm afraid of the way that people think about me. Sometimes I, I feel like God is disappointed in me. I don't know if you've ever felt that way. You know, some of us may feel like, this, like uh, our past, the people we've been with, the relationships we've had, maybe the relationship we're currently in keeps us from being close to Jesus. Sometimes we think, man, my mental health, the way that I can't seem to get on the strut, like Jesus has got to be disappointed in me. Let's be real. We can feel that way. For Zacchaeus, I'm sure he felt that being a tax collector kept him from being close to Jesus. Right? He had turned his back on his people. His story was broken. And let me just say this tonight. Man, it's okay to feel that way. It's natural to feel like you don't measure up because you don't. But that's the beauty of what Jesus does here. Jesus offers something that trumps anything you've done. He offers friendship. And Jesus changes Zacchaeus' life through this friendship in a meaningful way. He gets out of Zacchaeus what everybody else wanted. You see, the religious leaders that are mad about Jesus becoming friends with Zacchaeus would love to see Zacchaeus change. Like, man, that guy's a jerk. I wish he'd change. Zacchaeus changes so drastically that he's like, I'm going to give away half of what I have to the poor 
and I'm gonna pay it back four times if I've stolen it from anybody. Like that's drastic change. And the only thing that changed is that he met Jesus and Jesus says, I'm going to your house. And then Jesus says something that's fascinating about Zacchaeus. He says, this man is also a son of Abraham. And when he does that, you know what he does? He calls something new to life in Zacchaeus. See, Zacchaeus was defining himself by his height, by his money, by his position of being somebody who is an outlaw, a traitor to his people. But Jesus calls him to a new reality. He calls him a son of Abraham, which means that now he is back in. He's back in the people of the promise. And he's able to enter into what God wants for him. He has a new start. And it comes from being somebody who allows Jesus to invite himself over to their house. Now, when I was uh, in college, I was pretty lonely. Um, I had a lot of friends, um, but there was something within me that was, uh, that just kind of like always was in the background because uh, my family lived really far away. My family lived in Columbia, South America. I was uh, going to college in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Let me just tell you, those two could not be any different, okay? Um, I'd never seen snow before with the Minnesota. Believe me, I saw a lot of snow in my time in college. I never want to go back, okay? Um, there's a reason I live in Nashville. Uh, we get snow like once a year and everything shuts down. Like people buy generators and milk and bread. It just flies off the shelves so fast here. Um, in Minnesota, man, it'll snow like eight inches overnight. Everybody's like, well, going to work. Like nobody cares, okay? Um, but when I was there... I uh, didn't have a family. I didn't have a place to go uh, a lot of times on the weekend other than just hanging out with my friends. Some of you guys may feel the same way. You're new to Nashville. Maybe you're in college or maybe you're a young professional and you're here. You don't have a family. Um, Easter, you're come, going back home for Easter or you know, you're thinking about like what Easter's gonna look like who you're gonna celebrate Easter with because you're not gonna be able to celebrate Easter with the family that you grew up with. In your family. I felt that way. And one, uh, one year when I was in college, one of the one of the people that was at my, one of the families that was at my church invited me over for, for dinner after church. And uh, that became like a regular occurrence. They'd invite me over for dinner after church and they became family to me. And one day I remember Larry, uh, that's the dad's name. He looked at me and said, hey, you don't have to call to come over anymore. You can just show up whenever you want. He gave me an invitation to come over whenever I wanted. And so I did. <laughs> Sometimes I would come over and they weren't even there. I'd just be like, hey, I'm hanging out. Uh, because they gave me an invitation to the house. They're like, hey, here's the key. You can come over, uh, help yourself to anything in the fridge. And they brought me in as family. They said, you're welcome. Anytime you want. You don't have to call. Just come. And I think about that invitation and what it did to my life and what it changed within me. Something changed deeply within me because of that relationship. And to be honest, that relationship has continued to resonate in my life over the years, okay? Um, I think my PIN was their last four digits. My PIN for my ATM card is the last four digits of their phone number. Not my parents' phone number. Larry's phone number. <laughs> because Larry invited me into his family. Now you guys may be like, what? Well, What's their number? Like you were trying to figure that out, right? Like, what was it? But 
honestly, they became so ingrained in my life and changed me so deeply because of their invitation to be able to come whenever I wanted to. And here's what I think is important for us at Kairos. Man, wouldn't it be cool if we had that kind of relationship with Jesus? That we just like, Jesus, you can come over anytime. You don't even have to invite yourself over. Your invitation is a standing one. The reason I say that is because I know theologically, we, we can spout verses like Revelation 3.20, where Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. You know, if anybody lets me in, I'll come in and have dinner with them. But what that means is that Jesus wants a, a relationship where he's not just an occasional visitor into our life. He wants to take up permanent residence within us. And when he does, he begins to reorganize things within us. Now, here's the cool thing. Like when you think about the relationship with Jesus, it can be scary because we think about all the things that Jesus wants us to quit. Like he wants us to quit all the fun stuff. Like hanging out with our crazy friends or stop, stopping partying or, or stopping doing things that we are ashamed of, we know we shouldn't do. And the answer is yes, Jesus does want us to have some different behaviors. But what he wants most is he wants us to trust him. He wants us to like give him access. He wants us to have a standing invitation to say, Jesus, you can come in and you can do whatever you want in my life because I'm available. And if you want to come over to my house, you're definitely willing. Uh, you're definitely able to because I am willing to have you come. And so tonight, as we think about our own stories and our relationship with Jesus, um, one of the things we like to do around here is something we call 120 seconds, which is we take 120 seconds to say, I'm going to pause and I'm going to reflect on the truth that was presented in the scripture. And uh, my invitation to you tonight is to consider what it looks like to give Jesus access to your life in such a way that, you can, that he can come over whenever he wants. So here's the question I want you guys to walk, walk away with tonight. Will you let Jesus invite himself over? Will you let Jesus invite himself over? I think sometimes we're afraid to do that because we're afraid we're gonna become somebody we don't like being. We're gonna become a religious person. Or we're gonna hang out with some people that we're uncomfortable hanging out with because they have hurt us in the past. Or we may feel like, man, I just don't know. Like it may mean that I have to live a different life than the one I'm living right now. But none of that really is the first question you should be asking. The question is, will I give Jesus a house key? Will I let him in? And will I let him see me because he deeply cares about me? And if you're in a place where you're thinking about that tonight, my invitation for you is to say, Jesus, you are welcome. You're welcome in my life. Let me pray for us as we take this time to just reflect. Jesus, the, the gospel is that you saw us and you care for us and you know us. Even on our worst day, you see it all. And yet you're like, man, I'm coming for you. I care about you. I know you and I love you anyway. And Jesus, you give us an opportunity at moments like this to just say, God, you are welcome here. You're welcome in my life. And I give you access to come and do whatever you want.
So Jesus, I pray for that tonight for my brothers and sisters, that they would be willing to say, Jesus, you're welcome to move in. You're welcome to come over anytime you want. You're welcome to be the most important person in my life. Because your friendship brings life.